The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. CBS News has just learned that U.S. intelligence watched the high-flying airship as it lifted off near China's south coast. That means the U.S. military had been tracking it for nearly a week before it entered U.S. airspace, longer than originally known. CBS's Nancy Cordes is at the White House. So, Nancy, they were watching this from the beginning? They were, Nora, and what they saw was this balloon heading east from China towards Guam and Hawaii, but then it took a sharp northward turn, a beeline towards Alaska. They also revealed today that the three subsequent objects they shot down probably were not involved in spying. The three objects shot down this weekend may have been harmless research balloons. Keir Simmons on the Belarusian side of the country's border with Ukraine, where tensions are high this morning as Ukraine prepares for a new Russian offensive. Richard Engel has been reporting uh, that a renewed Russian offensive is underway. Russia has lost. They've lost strategically, operationally, and tactically. And they are paying an enormous price on the battlefield. Mark Milley might want to stop waving the rainbow flag for a few minutes and uh, switch on MSNBC as it uh, reports this morning of a, of a new Russian offensive in Ukraine. That's right. He announced, this is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He announced this week that Russia has lost. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience, we're giving you the simplified URL. Just go to, just type in trumpetdaily.com and it takes you to the live stream page or at least the Trumpet Daily page where you can then see the banner that takes you to the live stream page. And of course, we broadcast this program live every day, every weekday, I should say, at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. And uh, of course, you can go to that uh, same website or that same URL, trumpetdaily.com, and get to all of the, the podcasts or the uh, programs that we post after the fact, should you choose to listen on demand. That said, don't forget about thetrumpet.com. Of course, that, that's the uh, main website, our, uh, our, our, our home website that has all of the articles and the literature, the booklets, uh, the, the magazines that we offer on this program. And of course, you can order any of that. There's no cost or obligation. Just call our operators today. The 800 number is 1-866-930-3024. So back in 2016, following the, the dreadful and shameful Iran nuclear deal that uh, Barack Obama uh, orchestrated, uh, and he announced that, remember, on January 16th, 2016. My father called that the worst foreign policy disaster in U.S. history. And if you think about what's happened since that time, uh, that was only seven years ago. But, I mean, Obama continues. But I'll just say Joe Obama because you, uh, you throw in Joe Biden and his people. But uh, the White House is full of Obama staff, basically. But uh, you look at some of the foreign policy disasters 
that have happened even since the Iran nuke deal. And they're right up on the same level, so many of them. Tracking this, this Chinese spy balloon from the very start. That's not what we were told early on, remember? Early on, of course, they tried to cover it up. They, they, tried, they, they were hoping no one would notice. They followed it from its liftoff in China through Guam, took a sharp turn, then over to Alaska, then down through Canada. They were following it the, the whole way. We now know. That's CBS. CBS is reporting. Yes, it's not what we were told at the beginning. Was it? This is CNN going back to February 8th. So this, so this, is, uh, this is eight days ago. Listen to this. It says, a day before the suspected Chinese spy balloon entered U.S. Airspace, airspace over Alaska, the Defense Intelligence Agency quietly sent an internal report uh, that a foreign object was headed toward U.S. territory. The day before. The day before it came into Alaska. They sent out this report quietly. Quietly. Hey, there's this uh, object coming into our airspace. CNN says here, but it wasn't flagged as an urgent warning, and top defense and intelligence officials who saw it weren't immediately alarmed by it. Sources familiar with the report said that the White House was not made aware of the DIA report, and Joe Biden was not briefed on it. So they didn't know. I mean, they were learning it as CNN was reporting it. And of course, CNN wouldn't have reported it were it not for the American citizen in Montana that just happened to take some footage of it. It's floating up there in the sky over Billings. It says here, senior administration officials appear not to have been made aware of the balloon until on or near January 28. Listen to this. When it crossed into Alaskan airspace, including America's top-ranking general, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. He had no idea, Milley. No idea. It's probably out there somewhere waving the rainbow flag. And then he gives the press conference this week to say Russia's lost. This is the United States of America. What a laughingstock we are around the world. Everyone sees what's happening. You think they're not laughing hysterically at the Kremlin? or in Beijing. Milley didn't know. It says Biden, according to senior administration officials, was not briefed until three days later on January 31st. Now we know, now we know that we were following it, following it from liftoff. It probably took off on January 16th. I guess we don't know all the dates from the very start, but we do know U.S. intelligence. We do know the Defense Department. They knew all, Milley knew all about it. I mean, who knows when they told Biden in the White House. But still, they followed it from day one. And that, as I say, is CBS. That's not Fox News reporting that. That's CBS from a couple nights ago. What, as I say, what does the Bible say about Israel in these last days that we'd become a byword or that we'd become pretty much a joke? Just a joke. A proverb around the world. A joke. Joe Biden's current leading diplomat, it's a woman called Karen Decker. I guess she's not the ambassador to Afghanistan. We don't have an ambassador at the moment, so they're called a charge d'affaires. Google that uh, for how to pronounce. It's kind of fun. But here's Karen Decker. She's our leading diplomat. I don't think she's stationed in Afghanistan. She probably can't be. When you think about the way that we withdrew, 
just a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. But, but that said, she's the leading diplomat. I guess she's the, she's the link between the Biden people and the Taliban. And she's been tweeting out, these tweets have since been taken down, and you can probably see why here in just a moment. But all through this month, this is Black History Month. She's a black woman. So she's there, you know, fighting for the Afghani women. And she's been tweeting out all of these woke statements and trying to tie in, I guess, the civil rights movement in the United States together with the plight of, uh, of women in Afghanistan. I mean, that's really going to, I think that's not going to come over so well for the people of Afghanistan, the women in particular. Here's what she tweeted on February 1st. In 1960, four black students ordered coffee at a diner in Greensboro, North Carolina. They were refused service, but they would not leave. They came back the next day, and a sit-in movement was born. Has nonviolent protest ever been successful in Afghanistan? (laughs) Hey, Afghan women, how about if you just sit in and protest? If you don't like the way the Taliban is ruling over you, let's carry out a nonviolent protest. How do you think that's going to go over in Afghanistan? Those women are going to be beheaded in about a second. This is how out of touch the American foreign policy is today. As I say, a complete and total laughingstock. She tweeted on February 12, Abe Lincoln... Uh, born today in 1809, he did some stuff. Well, that's a brilliant statement. It's, it reminds me of Ilhan Omar about the 9-11 attackers. Uh, they came to, they did something? They did? You mean they blew up the World Trade Center and the Pentagon? He did some stuff. So there's that. And she says, it's also NAACP Day. Home of grassroots activism, inclusive communities, and making sure black voices are heard. What does that look like for Afghans struggling to be heard? Is this a joke? Is this for real? I can see why she took the tweets down. But this is a leading U.S. diplomat. Not unlike Mark Milley. You hear what they say, then you switch on their own news networks, MSNBC. And you see, like I said yesterday, the exact opposite is what's happening is what's actually happening. It says here, this is her tweet from February 15. Are are Afghans familiar with black girl magic and the movement it inspired? Do do Afghan girls know about this? I mean, full disclosure, I don't know about it in any event. Do Afghan girls need a similar movement? What about Afghan women? Teach me, ready to learn, Black History Month, Beyonce, Lizzo, Regina King. What in the world? As if these Afghan women could somehow make progress if they just forget about Abe Lincoln and the stuff he did. Let's uh, focus in on Beyonce. That'll help you on your plight. I mean, you can't make this up. You cannot make this up. Here we withdrew from Afghanistan in August of 2021 in shame. In shame. And the Joe Obama people, they still speak of it as if it, it, it was a tremendous success. And then here comes this woman, this diplomat, this charge d'affaires. And she's the, she's the spokesperson or she's the diplomat that we look to or that Afghanis look to, Afghan women in particular. Two years, just a little over two years 
of this illegitimate administration and the fundamental transformation of the United States, it continues. This is exactly what Barack Obama wants. And you add to that all of these, these unusual events. I'll get to the, the train derailment in Ohio again in, in just a second. But there was another one just this morning in Van Buren, Michigan. At least six of the rail cars, I don't think there were toxic chemicals, at least from the, the initial reports I saw. But you had the train wreck in Houston. You had the one in South Carolina. Now this morning in Michigan. And then just a couple of weeks ago in Ohio. And, of course, that one with 10, 15 cars carrying these toxic chemicals. And there's this big cancer cloud now floating over the, the, the area. What's going on? What's going on? I played that soundbite from Tucker the other night where he said, uh, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking we're under attack at the moment. But, but so many of these bizarre events, Chinese balloons flying over the nation, shooting down these other harmless balloons, weather balloons perhaps, research balloons, as that CBS report said. There was the huge warehouse fire in Florida. Uh, a warehouse that contained all kinds of hazardous material. You can see footage of it right there. Another, no, another massive plume of smoke. Who's, who knows what will be in that cloud? There was right here in Oklahoma, there was the chemical fire in, uh, in, a, in a Tulsa, Oklahoma site. There was a, an Arizona truck tipping over that spilled acid, um, forcing an evacuation nearby. You can see the... The, the colored plumes of smoke, uh, smoke in this case. That was just a few days ago. Yesterday, I think it was, this U.S. Uh, harm, Army uh, helicopter just dropped in a f total free fall. Fell to the ground from out in the sky. And then there's been all these reports of meteors spotted in, in Texas, in the U.K., uh, in France. Some strange events going on. It makes you think of Revelation 12. It makes you think of a real spirit world. It makes you think of Satan and, and his demons cast down to this earth and confined to this earth. I mean, this is, just the, this is just the outer edges of a storm that's coming. And of course, your Bible prophesies of all these heavenly signs even that are associated with and around the great tribulation prophesied by Jesus Christ himself in the Olivet Prophecy in Matthew 24. This is New Testament instruction. This is the teaching of Jesus. How do you explain all of this? The cover-up continues. Not the cleanup. The cover-up of what happened in Palestine, Ohio. And all these residents, angry residents, showing up for a town hall last night. The CEO of, of uh, Norfolk Southern, I guess it is, the train company. He was supposed to show up and answer questions. He bails out at the last minute. There's no Biden officials. Pete Buttigieg, he's not, he's not on site, you know, drinking from the tap water. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. All these residents are wandering around with headaches and rashes, wondering, who, you know, who's going to look after us? I think it was one of the Fox hosts last night, maybe Jesse Waters, who talked about how that the Joe Obama people, they help illegal aliens. And they won't help the, their, their own American citizens in Palestine. They're there at the southern border, handing out blankets, plane tickets to, to wherever, Florida, cell phones, free nights in hotel. None of that. None of that for the Trump supporters in Palestine. No, no. 
No, no, they are to be ignored. Set up the town hall, but then bail out if you don't want to take any hard questions. Listen to Joe Obama. This is Joe Biden, I guess, yesterday talking about the environment. Clip six. Oh, this is going to have a major impact on the environment, what we're doing. Specifically reducing carbon in the air as we begin to move these 500,000 charging stations around the world. I mean, around the country. And ultimately, it's going to take millions of barrels of oil off the road. Can you believe this? He's talking yesterday about removing carbon from the air, even as this cloud of vinyl, what is it, vinyl chloride? It's just floating above Palestine, and who knows where else it'll float to. He's got that happening now. And he's talking about 500,000 charging stations. That's going to eliminate the need for, bo- for oil, barrels of oil. We're going to get rid of them. What did he say in the State of the Union? That I think we're going to need oil at least another 10 years. You see the direction these people, these are radicals. These are zealots. These are radical environmentalists, but only with respect to their agenda. Here you've got an environmental catastrophe, and he's gone AWOL. Same with Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary. What's he said so far? Just he's tweeted about it and that's it. He's talking about, you know, having equality among construction workers. It's unbelievable, really. The New York Times talking about how no one really knows how this is going to play out or how dangerous this plume of smoke, this this cancer cloud will be in the end. It says one issue with toxic chemical releases is that the hazards are posed Not just by the individual chemicals involved, says this doctor, chemical compounds can interact with one another in complex ways and persist after burning. It quotes this guy, there could be hundreds of different breakdown products that still remain for which we uh, we have often very poor toxicological profiles. We oftentimes, we're oftentimes in this unknown place. See, at least there's an honest scholar an expert, he's evidently not one that shows up with a, you know, a lab coat and a bow tie and says, don't worry about anything. Everything's fine. You know, those headaches and the rashes that you're getting, that's normal. It's like a common cold. The Ohio Fauci, as uh, Jesse Waters calls him, there's always, they're a dime a dozen, it now looks like. I mean, they're everywhere. But here's one that's saying, actually, we're in an unknown place. An unknown place? We don't know how dangerous this is going to be. And there's Joe Obama's people down at the southern border to welcome in the illegals, even as they completely ignore the citizens of the United States in Ohio. This is from uh, Jesse Waters last night, clip two. Until Biden's EPA guy comes down to Palestine and guzzles a gallon of faucet water, don't believe a thing he says. Usually when there's a natural disaster, politicians, cabinet officials, even maybe the president go to ground zero. They hug survivors. They comfort children. They hold a press conference and say, everything's going to be okay. We got your back. But Biden officials aren't going near this town. Trust us, they're telling you. Like we should believe what the government tells us at this point, because the government's never lied to us, right? Especially about what's good for us. The Biden team just put out a food pyramid that says lucky charms are healthier than an egg. We took you through some of that. Uh, in a program a couple of weeks ago. You really can't believe anything that they're saying. 
Yeah, Millie has no idea. He has no idea that the... Well, he found out the day it entered into Alaskan airspace, I guess it was. And then CBS blows that up the other night. No, actually, they, they were tracking it the moment that it lifted off of Chinese soil. You can't believe a word that they say. Listen to Tucker Carlson as he explains some of the, the thinking behind blowing up blowing up these toxic chemicals, turning it into that mushroom cloud. This is clip three. Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania, held a press conference about it. Shapiro announced that authorities had decided to set those chemicals on fire. And that was a very good thing. No one should be unduly alarmed. The burning of these chemicals, Shapiro said, had gone, quote, as planned. Officials on the scene, meanwhile, declared the burn, quote, perfect. Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, agreed with all of this. The people in charge, the railroad's engineers, and the state officials overseeing them had everything under control. So two days later, evacuation orders for residents were officially lifted, both in East Palestine and over the border in Pennsylvania. That was last week. In the subsequent days, a lot of people have wondered out loud, was it really a wise decision to light thousands of gallons of vinyl chloride on fire, releasing a World War I-era bioweapon into the air over a populated area. Was that a good call? And was it really safe two days later for people to go back to their homes? And if it was safe, how do we know that? Is anyone in charge actually monitoring with any accuracy the level of deadly chemicals in the air, ground, and water in and around East Palestine? Well, no, apparently nobody is. And that's highly upsetting when you think about it. Talk about a failure at all levels. The first duty of government is to protect its citizens. So it's bad. And it's very bad news for reckless politicians like Josh Shapiro and Mike DeWine, who may have helped make this disaster much worse. So tonight, both DeWine and Shapiro are desperately trying to revise their previous statements about the so-called controlled burn. Both have now decided that the toxic mushroom cloud over East Palestine, the one they signed off on and endorsed on television, was actually a bad thing. It didn't go as planned. It wasn't perfect. And both governors have now identified the villain here, not as themselves. No, of course not. But as the railroad, Norfolk Southern. Norfolk Southern's to blame. And, of course, his, the CEO of that company wouldn't show up, as I say, at the town hall last night. But there's Shapiro. He's a Democrat. DeWine, he's a Republican. The Uniparty says, hey, this was, this was the perfect, did you hear that? This was the perfect thing to do. Just blow it up. <laughs> blow it up. Set it on fire. And, of course, now, now they, they have the residents come back after 24 hours because, well, Norfolk Southern says the air is clean. How did they know? Because they sent in their own investigators to determine that the quality of the air was just fine. This is from a, an article at Substack. It says the company hired by Norfolk Southern has already persuaded 340 residents to sign agreements that reportedly waived their legal rights to the aftermath of Ohio's train crash. So Norfolk Southern is sending in the experts to reassure the people to take tests to tell them it's just fine, but at the same time saying, we'll do all this for you so long as you sign this agreement uh, stating that you won't hold Norfolk Southern uh, uh, liable for this. You won't, you won't press any charges, three, four, five. I mean, as I said the other day, this is the thing that these left-wingers used to make movies about. It's got everything in the script, and it's true. It's happening. It's playing out. 
It says here, the Center of Toxicology and Environmental Health, a private contractor hired by Norfolk Southern to test water, soil, and air quality in East Palestine, Palestine has a history of minimizing the effects of environmental disasters to satisfy its corporate employers. I mean, the investigators are hired by Norfolk Southern, and, and they have a history, as this post points out, a history of minimizing the effects of disasters like this in order to satisfy the big guys, the corporate employers. Listen again to Jesse from last night, clip one. I'm getting this report here. So the EPA, it's looking like, didn't really even do any of the tests on the water. The rail company that caused the spillage hired some in-house shop, some firm, to do all the testing. And it's the same type of firm that BP hires to say, oh, yeah, the Gulf of Mexico is totally fine after BP dumped a bazillion gallons of oil into it. That's the kind of place that's it's exactly the same shop. And, Tulsi, exactly. it's like a John Grisham novel. They're, they're handing out pieces of paper. Hey, before we come in to test your water to see if it's clean, sign this piece of paper so you won't sue us. And this is that's a right. scandal right here. Yeah, and the scandal's so big that even the, the legacy media cannot ignore it. Joe Obama's still ignoring it. But the talking heads cannot because it's so big and it's so scandalous. This is from CBS. Again, CBS says when Norfolk Southern, the train derailed in Ohio earlier this month, it was not the first time it had experienced problems on the route. It says the train, which originated from Madison, Illinois, on the evening of February 1, broke down at least once before derailing in East Palestine, Ohio, on February 3rd, according to employees familiar with the matter. It says the employees say there were concerns among those working on the train over what they believe was the train's excessive length and weight, 151 cars, 9,300 feet long, 18,000 tons before it reached East Palestine, which contributed to both the initial breakdown and the derailment. And so over the years, they fought. They fought against the requirements to put on emergency brakes in case there was something like this that happened. They're pushing the limits as far as the, the size of the load, the number of cars. And you have employees that are now blowing the whistle saying, yeah, I mean, I think 151 cars with 18,000 tons. I mean, it's too much. But it's all about the bottom line for Norfolk Southern. And so when they go in to clean up the mess, quote unquote, they send in their experts. They send in their investigative firm or the ones that they have approved to test the air, the water and so on, as you just heard Jesse say. And to sign the waiver, right? Of course. It's all about getting that railroad back up and running, making sure they're not sued in court, and then just get back to making millions of dollars. Listen to Tucker from last night talking about this, this in-house job with respect to testing the air quality, the water quality, and so on, clip four. Uh, Kelly, if you'll just explain your experience with the official who asked you to sign a waiver. Sure, so what I can tell you is that um, we would like to have independent testing done. And um, uh, the, the people at Norfolk had suggested that they were going to offer services by an independent testing company to do uh, air and water testing for us. 
Um, when these people came to our property, uh, the company was called CTEH. Uh, I call it CTEC. And um, they had approached our property, came to our, our driveway and said, you know, we're here to test the water and soil. And I said, okay, so you guys are independent from Norfolk. And they said, well, not exactly. So then they handed us a contract. Um, the contract stated that essentially uh, Norfolk or any of its affiliates, you know, were going to be, uh, you know, encroaching on the property. They were going to be doing the testing um, and that it was essentially a hold harmless agreement. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but what I can tell you is that uh, I did not want to risk um, anything for my future, the future of the business, uh, by signing this contract. Uh, EPA was also there, um, and we had asked, uh, Chris specifically had asked EPA if they could come in by themselves or without signing of any agreements, and they denied that. Well, yeah. I mean, having the company who's trained derailed test for the effects of the derailment is a little like putting Pfizer in charge of the FDA. Oh, I guess we did that. <laughs> That's right. Putting Pfizer in charge of the FDA. Here's another example, one of many, showing just how they're all in bed together. These mega corporations, these big business corporate giants donating in most cases to Democrats, prominent Democrats. Then you've got all the lobbyists, you've got big tech, you've got the legacy media. It's a deep state. It's a swamp, really. That Skip ahead, actually. This is a good spot to play that Elon Musk uh, clip from yesterday. He's talking here about why he bought Twitter. And this is in some kind of uh, conference, and he's on video uh, hookup. But listen to clip uh, five. But I think in general, um, you know, social media companies should adhere to the laws of, of countries and not try to put a thumb on the scale beyond the laws of countries. Um, so, and I, I, mean, I think this is something that is probably agreeable to um, the, uh, you know, the, le the legislators and, and the people of most countries. So, so I, th I think it's, that's the general idea, is just um, to reflect the values of, of the people um, as opposed to imposing the values um, of essentially San Francisco and Berkeley, um, which are so somewhat of a niche ideology um, as compared to the rest of the world. And, but, but, you know, Twitter was, I think, doing a little too much to impose um, a niche, as, uh, you know, San Francisco-Berkeley ideology on the world. Um, so, you know, I, I thought the, it was important kind of for the future of civilization to try to correct that uh, thumb on the scale, if you will, um, and, and, uh, and, and just more, have Twitter more accurately reflect, uh, like I said, the, the values of the, the, the people of Earth. That's uh, Elon Musk saying that he bought Twitter because he didn't like the idea of San Francisco imposing its values on the whole world. Makes you think of that uh, San Francisco values article that my father wrote back in, uh, what was it, 2014 or 15? when Pelosi was leading the way, this Democrat charge, and my father warned, uh-oh, here comes San Francisco values. I mean, this is the only way you can stop it. Now, I think Mr. Musk has a little bit of a too high opinion of the people's, the people's views or opinions, or the, the, the people's values, as he said there. But there's no question 
that this monopoly up top, that this incestuous relationship, they're imposing their will on the majority in the United States, and even, as he said, they're worldwide. That's the only way that you can break it up. Look at what can happen just with one man that's willing to stand up to it. He's showing himself to do that in the, at least the world of social media. Of course, Donald Trump has done that in the world of politics. There's not very many of them. Most just go along. Like I said, whether it's Shapiro in Pennsylvania or DeWine in Ohio, this is it. This is it. This is the solution. And then within days, we find out, boy, was that the right thing to do? It's kind of like the Chinese spy balloon. Oh, we were following it from the beginning, we now know. Early on, all the reports, hey, we didn't know what was going on. I mean, we were kind of caught by surprise. We didn't think it was that serious. Millie didn't know until late in the game. Joe Biden, he didn't know till January 31st. And then you see how quickly, quickly they change their policy. As soon as, they, as soon as they're exposed, as I say, they start shooting down all of these research balloons or objects. Three days in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And then they're exposed just a few days after that. CBS. We now know at CBS that the intel community, they knew about the balloon and the day that it took off. The story from the New York Times. You talk about just dying by suicide. That's been a theme that's run through the shows this week. This one here, it says, Congressional Budget Office Projections released on Wednesday, so this is yesterday, suggested rising interest rates and bipartisan spending bills are adding to deficits. The U.S. is on track to add nearly $19 trillion to its national debt over the next decade, $3 trillion more than previously forecast. That's all. Just another three. You know, we were forecasting for $16 trillion. It's actually going to be $19 trillion in one decade. What is it at 31 or 32 trillion now? So in another 10 years, we're at 50 trillion dollars. These people think it's just going to go on and on. The big party, the uniparty partying away. They think there's always going to be room for printing more, trillions more. If we're three trillion over budget, I mean, what does it matter? Billion, trillion, zillions? Just keep, just keep spending on track to add 10 trillion in just 10 years? I'm old enough to remember when we were riding for the trumpet back in the 1990s, we were sounding the alarm when it was going from like 4 trillion to 5 trillion. Now they're talking about adding 10 trillion. Sorry, 19 trillion in 10 years. I got the trillion mixed up with the years. 19 trillion in just a decade. It says here, the, the new forecasts project a $1.4 trillion gap this year between what the government spends and what the government takes in from tax revenues. And of course, they're trying to increase taxes every step of the way so that it hurts the American citizens as well. What, what hope, apart from God and the return of Jesus Christ and the sure word of Bible prophecy, I mean, do you feel, I have children? I have children, they're coming into their 20s right now. What would it be like if this world were to just go on on its present course, if God wasn't involved in any way, shape, or form, what would this world be like in 10, 20, 30 years for my children and then their children? And then what about their children? 
And yet they all come along, don't they? Nikki Haley, she's now in the race. She's going to solve everything because, well, she's a woman and she's a woman of color. So that really makes her, that really makes her uniquely qualified. Just like this diplomat for Afghanistan. Hey, Afghani women, did you know about our civil rights movement? Maybe you should try some nonviolent protests in downtown Kabul. This is just insanity. And it's every day, as I say, it's relentless. It's, it's exhausting. One final story. I just want to cover this because it, you know, it's a sign of the times. It, it, it's sad. And yet, you know, you look at uh, Donald Trump and his supporters and you think, well, what, what else would you expect them to do? He's been all through from 2016 on through to 2020. His on voting, his message has been consistent. Look, let's hold off. Forget about the, the early balloting, the early voting. Let's just bombard them on the day, the day of the vote. And of course, Carrie, Carrie Lake had that same strategy. And look at how that played out as all the machines malfunctioned on voting day, on election day. It's from the Wall Street Journal. It says, after years of assailing early voting, Donald Trump is having a change of heart. The 2024 presidential candidate remains critical of various forms of early voting, advisors say, but his campaign is nonetheless mounting an effort to pursue such votes after Democrats excelled at doing so in recent elections. So he's basically concluding if you can't beat them or, or if they're always going to cheat their way to victory, then you might as well join them. So here comes ballot harvesting for the Republicans. This is what it's saying. Is this really going to solve the problems of the United States? I mean, looking again, looking at it long term, just like with the economics of spending 19 trillion in 10 years. Well, think about our future. Thank God for the return of Christ. We ought to be praying earnestly for that day to come, that it would hasten along these events. The email that Trump sent out to his reporter or his supporters, sorry, our path forward is to master the Democrats' own game of harvesting ballots in every state that we can. But that also means we need to start laying the groundwork or the foundation for victory right now. So as I say, if they're going to cheat, and the state legislatures are not going to do anything about it, the Supreme Court's not going to do enough about it, then, you know, we're going to have to start cheating too. We're going to have to start ha harvesting all these ballots as well. What a sign of the times. So much dishonesty and deception and stealing and thievery and crime. In the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, read it. Read the Olivet Prophecy, Matthew 24. Order the United States and Britain in prophecy. Herbert Armstrong's classic text on Bible prophecy, which shows you, if you're willing to dig in just a little bit, where the United States and Britain fit in to Bible prophecy. It really is that book, as Herbert Armstrong said so many times, that book is the master key that will unlock your understanding to all of Bible prophecy in these last days. If you don't have a copy, call our operators, 1-866-930-3024. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. Email the show if you want to submit some feedback. That's tdatthetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily.
One-third of your Bible is prophecy, and 90% of it is for our time today. This is why when you study Bible prophecy, you often read statements like, in that day, in the last days, and at the time of the end. Biblical prophecy is what makes the Bible so relevant to today, so essential to understanding our modern world. Most people, even in the world of religion, assume that nations like Britain, America, Germany, Russia and China are not mentioned in Bible prophecy. But if prophecy is mainly for our time today, how could the Bible ignore some of the most powerful and prominent nations of today? The key to understanding prophecy is knowing the biblical identities of modern nations. Learn about these identities in Herbert W. Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. In this book, you will learn about the astonishing identity of the American and British people in biblical prophecies. Request your free copy today, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Trumpet Daily. Last night uh, for our performing arts series, we had uh, this Dublin uh, Irish dance group uh, come in, and uh, I think it was, if not sold out, it was nearly sold out. But uh, the great thing about that particular show is they had some of our Celtic Throne dancers up for just a short little, um, a short little advertisement for our uh, performance or our show, Celtic Throne. Uh, which I think premieres again for the fourth season on uh, April 30th. You can go to CelticThrone.com to get all the, the dates for that. But uh, I'm told that between last night and this morning, and again, we're three months out or two and a half months out, between last night and this morning, we've sold 114 tickets for that April 30th show. So now is a good time to visit the Celtic Throne website, to look at some of the tour dates for this summer's tour. I think we're going to be going, we're heading in the general direction of the Northeast this time for the first time. And of course, we'll have three or four shows, I think, in the beautiful Armstrong Auditorium right here at our home site in Edmond, Oklahoma. So if you're anywhere in the Northeastern region or anywhere around central Oklahoma, close enough to be within striking distance, uh, we'd love to see you uh, visit the beautiful Armstrong Auditorium with its exquisite design and acoustics and all the beautiful things that you're able to enjoy. So many people that were there for the first time last night commented. Uh, they just said, I, don't, I never knew that in North Edmond we had a facility this magnificent. So it was a great night and a good opportunity for Celtic Throne to be promoted as well, I mentioned on the program uh, a couple of days ago the importance, uh, the importance of combining from time to time, combining your daily prayer with occasional fasting. And you can see instruction on this in the Old Testament and the New. Notice this example from Acts 10. This is verse 30. It says, And Cornelius said four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. So this angel appeared before Cornelius when he, when he was fasting, when he was, when he was crying out to God in, in, in fasting and prayer. 
Verse 31 says, And the angel said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, and your alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. God heard this prayer, this prayer that was uttered during a fast for this this man that was converted to the truth, this Gentile that became converted, a converted Christian, a true saint of God. Now the NIV, the New International Version, says, this is how it translates verse 31. It says, four days ago, or verse 30, I guess it is, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. I was praying in this hour. It just leave, it Conveniently enough, it leaves out fasting because that's, that's the way modern translators and so many modern commentators on the Bible, that's, they view fasting as something that's extreme. I mean, that's something a Pharisee would do, right? You know, the example in the, the Gospels where the Pharisee says, oh, yes, I fast twice in the week. To be sure, I mean, there are Pharisees or people like them today who make a show of it, who do it because of self-righteousness. But just because they do it in a wrong attitude doesn't mean we should avoid doing it altogether. Satan doesn't want true disciples of Christ combining fervent prayer with occasional fasting because he knows just how powerful this spiritual tool is. It's a weapon, and it's a powerful weapon at that. It's a weapon that we need to use in our spiritual battle. I mean, Paul said in Ephesians 6, we're going against rulers of the darkness of this world. We're going against spiritual wickedness in high places. And to claim victories in this spiritual war that we're in, we need to be close to God. And here's one way, one powerful way that you can do that. This is from a Good News article back in 1979. It says, some of the big problems in our lives and in God's church and some of, the, some of the attacks by Satan the devil can only be overcome by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. There's nothing wrong on occasion, perhaps once per month, to set aside some time to go without food and water for a 24-hour period and to concentrate as best you can to concentrate on additional prayer and study and meditation to draw near to God. I mean, there's examples in Herbert Armstrong's autobiography. He wrote that to a, a large audience and spoke pretty openly about early on in his ministry about some of, the, some of the results that came from his prayer and fasting when combined together. Powerful results. Dramatic results. Miraculous results. This is from uh, an article back in 1964, also from the Good News. It says, When you draw close to God in fasting, the tenacious grip of the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life will lose its strength. When you draw near to God in this way, those bands of wickedness will loosen, and you can begin to break free from those lusts of the flesh. Of course, we've got to do it in a right attitude, but if done in a right attitude, it, as I say, it will help us to experience those breakthroughs that we need to put away that old man, to keep him dead and buried. This morning in a forum, I read from 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I acted as a child, but when I became a man, 
I put away childish things. It's not just an automatic switch. You know, we're, we don't become an adult just because our physical body matures and develops. There's plenty of, plenty of children trapped in size, in, inside an adult-sized body. Isaiah 3 brings this out. We're being ruled by children, by adults with a child, a child's mentality, because they've never really grown up mentally, spiritually, emotionally, just physically. That's it. God, Paul said, look, when I became a man, I had to put away. I had to put away childish things. We need help with that. We need to break free from the pools of this flesh to curb those bodily appetites and to maintain order and discipline and, and structure in our lives, as hard as that is to do in this, this chaotic world, this world where the devil's just surcharged the air with his impulses and attitudes and moods. That's why we need to draw near to God for strength. Prayer and fasting strengthens you. It strengthens you. If, if done in the right attitude, it strengthens your relationship with God. It can deepen your conversion if you're a true saint of God. It can fill your life with the kind of supernatural power that we need. It, it increases your faith. It enhances and increases your, your growth your contribution to God's work, your boldness and confidence in standing against our adversary. It brings more boldness and confidence into the, the prayer closet to where you can really go before God and claim those many promises. And not just do that, but also sing praises to God in your prayers. Praising Him, honoring Him, extolling Him and His virtue, His mercy, His love, His grace. His power, fasting in a right attitude can renew and reinforce your commitment to God, your commitment to your baptism covenant. Look into the Old Testament. There's many examples. I don't have time to go into all of them. But anytime you see ancient Israel experiencing a spiritual renewal, more often than not, it's associated with prayer and fasting. It's associated with delving into the law of God and fasting and praying before God. This is from that same article in the Good News, 1964. It says, By drawing close to God in prayer and fasting, you can receive new vigor, enthusiasm, spiritual steadfastness, and staying power. It says, Fasting can change your approach to God, broaden your horizons, fill, fill you with greater faith, it says, fasting will not only cause you to feel more thankful for the blessings of God, the little things like food and drink, but it can change your entire approach and outlook. It can literally alter, the, alter and change your whole life. It can actually change the course of your life. In that sense, it can change history. That's pretty powerful. One of Satan's great deceptions, and we saw this early on in the Laodicean movement, but one of his great deceptions, whether in the Laodicean movement or the world of traditional Christianity, is that uh, fasting is unnecessary or fasting is extreme. Fasting makes you self-righteous, but that's not the case unless you're doing it in a wrong attitude. God says use this powerful tool. Use it. Follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. Look at what he did before the Titanic struggle in Matthew 4. Why would he fast for 40 days? 
What was he preparing for? Well, he was preparing for battle against his adversary, the devil. Notice what it says in Psalm 109. This is David. Verse 22, it says, I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like the shadow when it declines. I am tossed up and down as the locust. I mean, I'm just, I'm just nothing. Apart from God, I'm just a speck of dirt. I'm a blade of grass. I'm a disappearing vapor. Verse 24, David says, My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh fails of fatness. David humbled himself before God through prayer and fasting. If you study into this subject, and really I'm just kind of scratching the surface, but you see in the Bible that oftentimes humility is synonymous with fasting, and Isaiah 66 speaks of God looking to this man who trembles before God, who fears God, trembles before God and his word. God can't look to a man who's filled with pride and vanity and haughtiness. We need to humble ourselves, and this is one good way to do it. Fasting can certainly do that. It makes you realize just how physical, how temporary this life is. Psalm 35 and verse 13 says, But as for me, when they are sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, David said, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. David humbled himself through fasting. David fasted in a right attitude. David's fasting got results, miraculous results. And, and so it will with you if you do it in the right way. And as I say, there's plenty of instruction in the Old Testament and New pointing us to this powerful weapon. And God says, now make use of it. Put it to use. Use this powerful tool and instrument. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We, are, we have run out of time. I'll hurriedly point you to our email address if you want to submit some feedback, td at thetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow.